0: there's some baggage that comes with perfectionism and that baggage comes in the way of self-criticism so when we haven't met those excessively high standards we can turn on ourselves we can question our abilities question our appearances question our performances and and so yes on the one hand perfectionists do appear to have this kind of you know hyper functioning i guess you'd call it but on the other hand they can they can really be uh, harsh on themselves and that that harsh of criticism can culminate in some quite negative mental health problems.
1: Well, that's the voice of Thomas Curran, Assistant Professor in the Department of Psychological and Behavioural Science at the London School of Economics. And he's clear that we need to stop trying to be perfect. I'm Liz Earle, and this is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all to have a better second half. Very happy to have you joining me today. And as I expect you know by now, I'm really keen to find ways for us all to navigate ageing well and to thrive in later life by specifically investing in our health and our wellbeing today. And a big part of that, of course, is our mental attitude, more specifically, perhaps, how we look at life both our own and the bigger picture stuff. And when it comes to perfectionism... I would have to hold my hand up as guilty as charged. I am forensic about detail. Maybe it comes from being a brand founder and having my name on the tin, so to speak, of any brand that I've created. So I feel it just has to be perfect in order to go well. You know, I'll agonize over the size and the shade of type on my magazine pages, for example. Maybe wake up in the night bothered by the creases in a shirt I bought for a speaking event. Oh my goodness. And other brand founders that I've met often seem to have the same. Mindset, actually. I was reminded of going to an opening of the newly refurbished John Frieda salon in Mayfair, and this is a vast emporium of state-of-the-art lighting, acres of Carrera marble and mirrors, and I found John in the ladies' loo scrubbing away microscopic particles of dust from the tile grout. I mean, I get it, John. You know, if I had had a toothbrush in my pocket, I would have been right down on my knees to join you. So are you a perfectionist, you know, and why could this be a negative personality trait? Are we living in an age of a perfectionism epidemic? Well, Tom certainly believes so. And in his book, The Perfection Trap, he examines the rise in perfectionism and the impact it's having on our mental health and well-being. Well, in his original research, Tom discovered a substantial increase in the percentage of people who feel they need to be perfect over the last three decades. And he revealed a danger that often masquerades as a virtue, and that's our desire to be perfect. Interestingly, he distinguishes between the pressure we put on ourselves to be perfect and the expectations we feel from others and society at large. Both types of pressure he's found to have a paradoxical effect on our performance and can lead to depression, burnout and other mental illnesses. So given our fundamental mental well-being is at stake here, how can we create a culture that actually celebrates the joys of imperfection?
2: Well, welcome,
1: Tom. Uh, you are part of the Department of Psychological and Behavioural Science at LSE. So why this interest in perfectionism in particular?
0: Hi, Liz, and thank you. If I may say so, that was a perfect introduction.
1: Perfect. <laughs> and- I love it. We got off to a good start then, but of course, it doesn't really matter if it wasn't perfect. <laughs> that but was yeah? the, that
0: was amazing. I love the tale about uh, scrubbing the minute. Bits of dirt oh off gosh. the grout, yeah. That's incredible. do you know? We
1: were all there, you know. He had the like the world's leading press and all these celebrities and people, and you know what bothered him. Was, was a tiny bit of dirty dust in, in, in the tile grout.
0: Yeah, well, that's perfectionism. You know, that, that yeah. kind of attention to detail, things that most people would never see. I would consider myself to be a perfectionist too. We would agonise over those little bits of imperfection, little flaw or detail that we, we think are going to expose us as this kind of incompetent uh, salon manager or academic or professor or whatever it is in our lives that are important to us. So that's a really uh, interesting insight into perfectionism and that that really is what it it means to be a perfectionist.
1: So why are you so interested then? Obviously you study kind of behavioural science. Was that always a fascination for you or is it something that grew over the years? It's always
0: been something I've been really interested in from an early age. I was always sort of an anxious kid I was a reasonably good sports person but I just couldn't handle the big moments and one of the reasons why I didn't really go very far is because you know when the going got tough I tended to recoil a little bit and that had a massive Mm. impact on my performances so I've always been kind of an anxious kid found the high pressure situations difficult and as I progressed into adulthood and embarked on this career as an academic, academia really puts a magnifying glass over your abilities, your intellect, uh, your writing, presentations, you know, you're really kind of under the microscope. And and that amplified those kind of anxious tendencies and really started to make me feel very self-conscious about how I'm looking, how I'm appearing, and whether I'm giving the perfect talk or writing the perfect paper. And that's really where it started to take off. I started to realize it's having a negative impact on my life. It's really making me feel down. And I wanted to know more about this trait of perfectionism mm. so I started doing
1: some research found there wasn't that much out there and that's really where it started So let's come back to a definition then what is perfectionism I you mean know, is it just about having very high standards or is it actually a bit more than that So perfectionists do have excessively high
0: standards that's true but there's some baggage that comes with perfectionism and that baggage comes in the way of self-criticism So when we haven't met those excessively high standards, we can turn on ourselves mm. we can question our abilities question our appearances question our performances and and so yes on the one hand perfectionists do appear to have this kind of you know hyper functioning i guess you'd call it but on the other hand they can they can really be uh, harsh on themselves and that that harsh self-criticism can culminate in some quite negative mental health problems. Mm.
1: You talk about your own experiences as a child. Is it then something that is nature or nurture as we grow?
0: We know from the scientific literature that about 30 to 40% of perfectionism is inherited. So nothing you can do about that, unfortunately. It's kind of typical, actually, of most personality characteristics. You know, up to half of these personalities is inherited. However that does leave quite a lot for the environment to explain. And we think, uh, my lab think that a lot of the rest is explained out there in wider culture. So what's happening to us in the outside world, the pressures that we feel from social media or school or advertising or, or even just you know popular films, music, TV, all of these things mm-hmm. kind of weigh on our sense that we must be perfect. So it, yes, it's a little bit of nature, but it's also quite heavily nurtured too.
1: And I guess that nurture environment is increasing, isn't it? You know, I mean, I'm very active on Instagram, for example, and Instagram only ever shows the best, shiniest side of life. You know, you you put up the best picture, you you make yourself, you know, look the best you can be, you present the positive side of things. And I guess with that growing trend in social media, maybe, it kind of increases that likelihood that we're going to feel somehow imperfect or or inadequate.
0: Yes, I think that's true. I think that with social media, we, we, of course, quite naturally, we want to show the world our best self, you know, living our best lives. uh, And we can have a tendency within that context to airbrush some of the more imperfect things from view, Mm. uh, which is fine. But when everybody's doing that, it becomes an echo chamber of perfect lives lifestyles you know it's kind of this idea that we're kind of engage as kind of mimic rivalry so everyone else seems to be perfect therefore mm. I need to project a perfect life too um, and so there's definitely a reinforcing sense in social media that you know, you need to be perfect, but it isn't just social media. There are other forces that weigh on us outside of that context, but definitely social media is, has a lot of pressure in there to be perfect.
1: Well, let's dig into perhaps the different dimensions that we have here of perfectionism. There was a model, wasn't there, created in the early nineties that explains that there are three faces of perfectionism. Is that right? Yeah. So having done decades of
0: work now and this I mean, my work stands on the shoulders of uh, many master clinicians, Karen Horne, Albert Ellis, Paul Hewitt, Gordon Flett. These people have really been working with perfectionistic patients and and, and they've listened to them. And what perfectionistic people have told them is that perfectionism does contain these kind of really strong self-identifying features. So this desire and need to be perfect but there's also a very important social element to perfectionism that we also have to consider when we're understanding it as a kind of broad holistic trait and this social element comes in two forms the first is a sense that the outside environment everybody and all around me expects me to be perfect and if I'm not perfect they're judging me uh, they're watching they're waiting to pounce on any exposure of imperfection or flaw And secondly, there's perfectionism that's turned outwards onto other people so that, you know, my high standards and excessive need to be perfect uh, is turned outwards on you. I expect you to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, then I'm going to let you know that 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 performance was substandard. So these three elements of perfectionism, self-set perfectionism or self-oriented, which comes from within, I need to be perfect. Socially prescribed perfectionism, which comes from outside, everyone expects me to be perfect. And other oriented perfectionism, The perfections are turned on to other people. So I expect you to be perfect. These are kind of the three core dimensions of perfectionism we see time and time again in the clinic and in our research. And they make up what we understand to be this kind of broad, holistic concept of perfectionism.
1: So is someone likely to fit into just one of those categories then? Or do they kind of overlap to some extent?
0: We all have a kind of dominant dimension. So I myself would say I'm quite high on social and moderately high on self, but not very high on other. Different people have different constellations of perfectionism. It's measured on a spectrum, and perfectionism is a spectrum. So, essentially, you know, we all, all all of us, every one of your listeners, will score somewhere along the spectrum of these uh, dimensions. And that's the really interesting thing about perfectionism, really. There's no one size fits all. Every perfectionistic person will look slightly different from the next. And because we've measured these things over time and over many decades, we can begin to actually look at what's happening to the middle part of that spectrum. So the average, where most people sit. And what we're seeing, interestingly, is that self-oriented, socially prescribed, and other-oriented perfectionism are all increasing. That means their average is increasing over time. And what's really interesting is it's that social element of perfectionism, socially prescribed, The sense that other people expect me to be perfect, which is
1: rising really fast um, Mm. at the moment. Interesting. So when you measure these things, then obviously that there is clearly some kind of clinical chart. What, What are the questions that we could maybe ask ourselves to figure out where we fall on this scale? So there's
0: there's loads of different questions that uh, we ask, about 45 different questions in the big multidimensional perfectionism survey, but I'll give you a, a, a couple of examples for each one. So for self-oriented perfectionism, for instance, we might ask, uh, to what extent do you strive to be perfect? And you can agree or disagree with that statement uh, on a scale of one to seven. And we ask all sorts of different other questions about self-oriented perfectionism. So if i haven't been perfect i'm harshly self-critical of myself for instance that would be another example of that question and we'd ask many different questions and we'd add all of those items up how much we agree or disagree so that we get an average the same is true for socially prescribed perfectionism so we might ask uh, someone everyone else expects me to be perfect how much do you agree with that statement on a one to seven and again we'll ask similar questions for social and again for other oriented so i expect perfection from other people for example would be an example item
1: Mm. do
0: you agree on a one to seven and we add those up and we get an average so that's how we take measurements and that's that's also how um, we uh, identify whether these things are correlated with other types of outcomes for for instance anxiety or depression we might take measures of anxiety depression to see the extent to which if we're high on perfectionism are we also high on anxiety are we also high on depression.
1: Mm, interesting I mean it, just you talking about that now makes me instinctively think about parenting and I know we'll come on to that a little bit later but you know, perhaps the expectations that we grew up with from our parents or our our family around us. And then as parents, you know, what what we project onto our children in terms of what we're expecting of them. But let's let's park that thought for a moment, because I think that would be a really interesting one to get into. Talking about the kind of the cultural element there and talking about change. I know that you did a TED talk in 2018, and that was called Our Dangerous Obsession with Perfectionism. But you've since come to feel a bit uncomfortable with that title. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I think one of the things writing my book has taught me is that the more you delve into this, the more you realise that this is a global problem. This is an affliction perfectionism, which really affects each and every one of us. And by putting the emphasis on us, on our obsession, I think that really doesn't tell the full story of the extent to which this is a very much a cultural phenomenon, and something that actually we all share a responsibility, both in understanding and managing, but also trying to overcome. Because if we accept that there are bigger forces that are weighing on our desire and need to be perfect, then that suggests that the solutions aren't just individual, but they're also collective. So I think for me, it's mm. a, a, it's, it was a real awakening moment when um, I, I kind of, the more I wrote, the more I realized that actually this isn't just a personal Thing. this is a collective right. thing so that's why I'm sort of if I could do the TED talk again I'd probably change the I'd tweak the title a little bit
1: interesting you know. so perfectionism being this cultural problem then overwhelmingly which is kind of reassuring that it's not just an individual one that we all have to bear how then can you illustrate that how, how is the world around us subtly but kind of constantly telling us to be more perfect well we know that because
0: the work that I've done is showing that perfectionism is rising for everybody over time and what that suggests is that really there's something out there in the wider culture that's moving that collective average. So, you know, to focus too much on the individual would we'll kind of ignore this big picture change that we're seeing among right. people. Your question about how we know or what are the cultural forces are really speculative because we can't a hundred percent say it's social media or it's increased pressure at school or it's I don't know of vociferous advertising or whatever, you know, we can't point at, mm. one, at one specific thing. Mm-hmm. All we can do is say that there is definitely a sense out there in the wider world that pressures are increasing. People are feeling that they need to be perfect. And as a consequence, that could be something that perhaps is underneath some of these other rises of sort of more uh, observable mental problems, things like anxiety and depression, uh, especially among among young people. So, you know, we can't pinpoint one thing And it is speculative, but there are certain areas definitely of modern culture that are ramping up the pressure on people. And perhaps we can talk about them.
1: It's so interesting. Well, stay there, Tom, because I want to come back in a moment and look a little bit more closely at self-orientated perfectionism. So tell me now about the concept of deficit thinking. And that's perhaps the fear and the shame and the insecurity that can be closely linked to perfectionism.
0: Yeah, so the core of all those dimensions of perfectionism is a sense that we're not enough and that essentially we do all of this striving, all of this excessive work and uh, perfecting of our lives and lifestyles to kind of disguise what we know deep down is to be an imperfect person that lies underneath those I suppose what we call those impression management that facade that we we give off to the world and that deficit thinking that kind of sense that I'm not enough that I'm less than other people um, is really what makes perfectionism so pernicious. that's what creates the self-critical features that I talked about earlier and it's it's what sends us into a bit of a negative spiral where you know we kind of need to be approved of because we don't feel like we're enough which means we set excessive standards for ourselves, which we often find difficult to meet. So we tend to hit failures and setbacks more often which means we're more self-critical our self-esteem falls uh, so we overcompensate with higher goals and so on and so on and it's that kind of this is this is where you can start to see how perfectionism can really lead to some quite negative uh, mental health problems because of, of this kind of very rooted sense that i'm not enough that i'm not perfect enough and i need to go about the world concealing my imperfections from everyone and all around me
1: yeah, it's when you think about it, it's a real joy stealer, isn't it? And even when you do achieve something and, and you know have the opportunity to celebrate a great moment, it kind of robs you of that. I mean, it's, as you say, pernicious is the word
0: it really really does rob joy and that's an it's a really good way of putting it i think the telltale sign of, of a perfectionist if perhaps you have perfectionistic tendencies is actually as as you just mentioned there you know when things do go well when we've succeeded or accomplished something if your first emotion or feeling is is uh, relief that's that's essentially this idea that thank goodness it didn't mm. go wrong <laughs> like, <laughs> you know i did mm-hmm. what i should have done i did what as, uh, was expected of me um and there's no real pride there right like well you know i need to go about the world being perfect i succeeded that's that's kind of par of the course that's how i should have performed and so thank goodness thank goodness i didn't slip up i didn't screw up i didn't show some weakness to the world uh, that's a real real strong telltale
1: sign of being a perfectionistic person do you think then there's a real kind of struggle here, a kind of a mentality that we have to be constantly pushing ourselves, you know, always to be in some kind of painful grind? You know, we've really got to struggle before we're allowed to enjoy things. Is it kind of that sense that we haven't earned it, we haven't deserved it and, and unless, you know, we've got this awful struggle to be perfect? Yeah, there's a very much uh,
0: in modern culture, a celebration of that kind of mindset, the the grind set. Um, the grind the sen-
1: set. I love it. <laughs> the sense that, you know,
0: that part of life is the suffering and, and the struggle and the strife to get there. You know, there are many people who will be quite happy and contented to um to live like that and they will be able to let things go and things aren't quite perfect enough. But that kind of mindset can be really damaging for a perfectionistic person because success is a bit like a bottomless pit. Sure. It depletes us in its pursuit and we never really get there. Yeah. And that and that's yeah. what makes it the struggle so dangerous because if all we do is put us put ourselves on a journey where you know we're going to grind and hustle and grind some more and never quite reach an ultimate end point then we're never going to sense contentment and we're always going to feel like we're not quite enough we're always going to feel that like there's something more and that's a really exhausting draining way to live and so that's really one of the reasons why perfectionist people struggle because not only do they have this kind of self-sabotaging self-critical features that make you know cause mental health or can Create mental health problems, but also they never really feel satisfied because they never quite get to where they ultimately uh, feel yeah. like they should be. So that that's it's the kind of double edged sword there for perfectionism makes it really really quite problematic.
1: I'm reminded here about um, people who talk about living in the present and being very mindful. You know, I'm, I'm in the middle of reading a brilliant book, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, who says, you know, the only reality that we have is now, this actual moment. And of course, when you're in this moment, it, it is kind of perfect, isn't it? Because it, it is all there is. And you're not striving, you know, by definition, because you are here and now and you're very present. Those kind of goals are, are not coming into life. So is there a case here for actually being more present and not always thinking, oh, well, I've got to do this and I've got to achieve that? And when is this going to have a, an end result?
0: absolutely wonderful book by the way Mm. I, i think i think there's a lot to that one of the things that i'm trying i try to argue in the book is is to to remain as much as you can rooted in the present circumstances the present life the present moment to try to appreciate and accept ourselves for what we are who we are and where we are in life and at some level to try to come to terms with you know a very competitive world, a very stressful world at, at times, um, particularly for those lower down the social hierarchy or for people of minority backgrounds who, who do have real struggles. I, I think it's so, so important for us to, if as, as far as we possibly can, build a sense of acceptance but like I say, this also comes with a collective responsibility too, because it isn't just up to us as individuals to live in that moment as far as we possibly can, but also up to us as a society to create a culture and environment where we are able to do that, where everybody's able to do that, no matter where we are or where we or where we start in life. And so, yes, I 100% agree. I think this is such an important way to break through perfectionism is, is acceptance, but it's not just a personal responsibility. I think we also have a collective responsibility.
1: And actually, that kind of brings me back to something I mentioned earlier, which was about parenting. So often people will say, well, I was always expected to do well. I was there's this interesting dichotomy, isn't there, as a parent between wanting your child to succeed and to give them every opportunity and encouragement and actually kind of having them feel that their existence is validated by their performance and how well they're doing you know what grade did they get in school where did they come in the sports race how well are they doing you know how many friends do they have how how polite are they you know that there is this whole area of expectation which also is mirrored on the flip side by disapproval if you don't manage to live up to those expectations what's your view on parenting and and a I guess how it can impact our future life and what we might need to recognize and let go from that but also for those of us who are parents either to smaller children or to grown-up kids as well you know how do we best manage them and and enable them to move out of this perfectionist trap
0: absolutely it's just it's it's such an important it's such an important uh theme and it's one of the things I've dedicated a whole chapter to in the book I think it's really hard right now. The first thing to say is so tough. Parenting is so, so tough right now because the pressures are really intense on young people, particularly at school, to get into the, you know, the highest sets and the best... It's all comp-
1: goal-driven. It's all about performance, isn't it? It's really hard to, to get away from it.
0: It's so, so hard. So I think the first thing I think for listeners who are parents to to recognise is that none, none of what I'm about to say is, is your fault. I think... Having high expectations and 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 pushing young people to excel these days is so is is arguably vitally important. Yes, you've for got their to have life. motivation, haven't you? Yeah, exactly.
1: Life is tough. Yeah. It's like kind of guys, you know, you've really got to step up to 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 make the best of the opportunities. I guess.
0: Absolutely, and and uh, you know, as the apex of society narrows, as social mobility starts to move into reverse. Parents see this. We all see this. Young people see this. They feel this. And so the expectation on them to excel is so, so strong. And of course, parents are going to remind young people of that. What other option do they have? Okay. that said, you can still have ambition for young people. You can still set goals for them that, you know, stretch their imagination and their uh, efforts. However, is so, so, so important to do so in a way that is unconditionally regarded. So irrespective of whether a young person has succeeded or hit a setback at school or college or in their work life, it's really important that you treat them the same way, no matter how they do. So if they do well, give them a hug, praise their efforts, say what a you know an amazing job they did. But if they hadn't done quite so well, do exactly the same thing and remind them all the time that, you know, this setback is not an indictment on them. It's not a reflection of their abilities or how much worth they are in the world to you or any other person. It doesn't mean that their teacher doesn't like them. It doesn't mean that, you know, this. going to it's going to lead to catastrophe when it comes to you know their ultimate uh, life choices it's just one grade is one assessment of many 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 other assessments that they're going to experience Mm -hmm. in life many setbacks many hurdles many failures it's going to happen again and it's going to happen again and it's going to happen again and this is just what it means to move through life as an imperfect human being (laughs) and it's okay and it's and you know and embrace it Embrace it. So, you know, that's so, so important. Unconditional regard, no matter whether kids have done well or whether they haven't done quite so well, love them and love them still and remind them all the time that these things are just part and parcel of life. That's the most important thing you can do.
1: And that is global, isn't it? That's in all relationships. Unconditional love is just one of the most precious things. You know, I love you regardless. I love you for whatever your perceived flaws are, whether we're talking about, you know, our significant other or a child or a parent or whoever it is, it's, it is that let's remove any goal orientated affection that, you know, you might have to feel that you've got to earn. It's just there. It's given, it's implied, it's all encompassing forever. I mean, the the security that an individual has when they feel that from another, when they feel that from another is, is just priceless, isn't it?
0: It really is. And this goes back to what I was talking about earlier when I said we live in a culture of exceptionalism where parents, you know, feel pressured to put a little bit of pressure on young people to excel. That's fine. But don't slip into the trap of that culture that will teach them to show, dis- you know, teach you to show disappointment to young people when they haven't excelled, right? That's the trap. That's the trap that's that we have to avoid. There's no problem with setting goals, um, having expectations of young people, provided they're realistic, of course. But it's really, really important when they've when they've hit setbacks to make sure that you don't fall into that trap of showing disappointment, encouraging them, pushing them to overcompensate by working even harder. Just continue to love them and show them appreciation and affection, and and that is the most important thing you can do because that means you can still set high expectations if you know uh, if those if those things are, are necessary and as long as they're realistic, as I said. But you can also make sure that they know they're loved even if they haven't succeeded, and that's mm. the most important thing.
1: Interesting that word disappointment. I know, you know, when I was growing up, you know, and if I did something that was really bad, you know, my parents would say, No, you know, we're not cross, darling, you know, we're just disappointed. And, you know, I mean, that, oh my gosh, I'd so much rather you be cross because, you know, that feeling of disappointment, of letting somebody down, I mean, it's quite devastating, isn't it?
0: yeah it really is and um it's it can be subtle as well you know this kind of sense that you know in this world we have to continually do more so this sense that okay yes you've done really well but keep going Right. This right. is also right. really difficult for the child because it means full unqualified approval is remains elusive, and what that teaches us is essentially, in order to be a someone of worth to matter in the world, we need to gain approval. We need to gain this kind of ultimate unqualified. Yes, you are enough. And if we keep subtly deferring that, if we keep saying yes, you've done really well, we keep going. But. Mm -hmm. but Mm. exactly that can also be quite problematic and that can lead to perfectionistic tendencies in young people so it's it's really about unconditional love that's all you know we keep coming back to this concept but it's so so important
1: how do we get it right then, as parents? You know, I'm I'm a mother of five. You know, four of my kids are, are grown up and adult or semi adult, and I've got a youngster who's thirteen. You know, what do I do then? Because surely, if if, if you know he is going to mess up and get things wrong or whatever, and he's going to need encouragement, if I'm continually saying to him, you know, you're amazing, I love you, whatever, you know, where is his motivation going to come from? How can I strike the right balance? So it's really, as I say, it's really about the the
0: both ends of that success spectrum, right? Because there will be times when things have gone really well, and again, this is this is the time to reinforce that, to to reinforce the learning, the development, the growth, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, you know, expectations and ambitions and goals are absolutely fine. You know, they need to be realistic, and 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 they need to be uh, set in in conversation with young people. That's to say, they need to have an input into those things, but you know. We can be ambitious for our kids, and when they've succeeded, we can can reinforce that effort and that growth and that development and the application that they put in, just as we we can do when they haven't, when they've hit setbacks. So there's no, you know, there there isn't just to say, you know, don't worry, nothing matters, we'll love you, whatever. You know, you can still have ambition, you can still have expectation, and you can still focus young people on the kind of the learning, the development, the growth. Uh, the kind of almost the joy of just experiencing what it means to just kind of master something new that's what that should be anyway what education is all about you know those things yeah the journey not not the
1: goal always
0: exactly the journey so just you know making sure that young people recognize that this is that this is a journey and that you know that it's important obviously for their life chances and that the you know school and college are things that you know if you if there are certain careers that they'd like to go into that need those things and those are things that need to be encouraged and need to be reminded you know you're going to need to work hard to get into them and it's you know it's not an easy journey but at the same time you know we can be kind we can be compassionate and we can show our uh, and love and affection even if they haven't quite succeeded in that journey or on those goals and i think that's that's just the most important thing as i say like anyone everybody's going to fail we're all going to hit setbacks we're all going to hit hard and trying times and it isn't about just saying, "Well, don't worry, it doesn't matter." But what right. it is is it about saying you tried, and that's the most. important thing. And this has not
1: defined you. That setback exactly. this has not defined you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So then, what does the research say? Is there any research, in fact, to say whether perfectionism has any redeeming features? You know, are there any are there any positives to hold on to here? You know, speaking as as a self confessed perfectionist, maybe I'm going to have to go to kind of perfectionism anonymous or something and try and kind of recover myself the the the
0: thing is when we talk about perfectionism we're really talking about the sense of deficit thinking and, and and that is that can never be a positive thing however there are features of perfectionistic people that are certainly desirable but what i would say is they're the features of perfectionism that overlap with other things like conscientiousness, meticulousness, diligence, perseverance. These are forms of striving that come from a very active, optimistic sense that I want to improve, I want to get better, but crucially, if I didn't make it, I can find from that experience what i can learn and how i can develop and how i can grow and it's not catastrophic it's not an indictment on me it's just to you know i didn't do this one thing correctly or i woke up on the wrong side of the bed you know we're able to let ourselves off the hook and see the bigger picture so for me it's really about trying to connect with those more healthier ways to strive and let go of the deficit thinking the self-critical nature of perfectionism and if you if you're able to do that if you're able to do the striving part without the self-critical part then there's something absolutely healthy about perfectionism and as I say you know perfectionism itself with all of its baggage I don't think there's anything positive about it But there are things we can take away from it and focus on. And those more conscientious elements are certainly positive things.
1: Tom, I think that's a really good note to end on. Thank you. I shall definitely be rethinking, you know, my own approach to my own work, particularly, and home life. You know, is everything looking perfect for people who are coming round, And and certainly my parenting skills, how I talk to my children, trying to avoid that sense of disappointment and kind of flip that onto more of an encouragement. So as a kind of an end note, we're not aiming to be perfect. What would you say we are aiming for?
0: I would say that we're aiming for acceptance, whether that be in ourselves, whether that be in our performances, whether that be in our current life circumstances. If we can really learn to accept that that we are an imperfect human being, like we're human and human beings are fallible, we're exhaustible creatures and accept that reality and accept that humanity. And not just accept it. actually, realize that there's a lot of joy in our imperfections. There's a lot of joy in our our flaws and the shortcomings they make us us. That's the way to a very contented and purposeful life.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today, Tom. It's really such an interesting conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Liz. Well, a massive thanks to Tom. How thought provoking. What do you think? Love to hear. Are you perhaps rethinking wearing your perfectionism as a badge of honour after hearing all of that? I know that I am. And yeah, I'm definitely going to rethink how I talk to my children, you know, particularly as we think about the new school terms, you know, kids heading back to uni, whatever. How can we better equip them? As they go back to live their best lives, I love that we have weaved in some moments of joy and acceptance to such crucial words, you know, when it comes to our own overall well-being and mental health and more joy and acceptance. There we go. Well, let me know what you think. The team and I are on Instagram. We are at Liz Earle Wellbeing on Instagram and I personally am at Liz Earle Me. So do drop me a comment. Well, as always, there are plenty more resources to support mental health, mental wellbeing and more on lizellwellbeing.com. And that's the place if you'd like all the goodness delivered straight to your inbox every week because we have two weekly newsletters that go out. You need to sign up to each one individually. One comes out on a Wednesday. That's the Liz Loves newsletter. That's the one that's packed with all the discount codes and special offers. And then we have the well Wellbeing editorial newsletter that comes out Friday tea time every week, packed with lots of ideas for the weekend, for recipes, for links to podcasts like this and more. So do make sure that you're signed up and you won't miss out. Well, coming up over the next few weeks, we have an eminent biohacker. Are you into biohacking? Are you aware of it? It's on your radar. I'm kind of doing an ever deeper dive into biohacking. So I'm really looking forward to my podcast with this leading biohacker and an Olympian. Yeah, so just click the follow button wherever you are listening to this as the way to make sure that all future podcast episodes arrive on your phone or your laptop or however you're listening to me just as soon as they are available. And of course, if you like to listen 24 hours early with no ads, then you can subscribe to the lizard Wellbeing Show plus on Apple Podcasts, so that's a premium service for just a small monthly fee. Not only do you get early access here, but of course you do get the episodes ad free if you would prefer. And you know, if I can ask a very small favour before I go, if you've enjoyed listening to this or any other episode, in fact, would you mind leaving a very short review, however you listen to this podcast on whichever platform, because they really do help others to find the show and maybe get the help that they might need for a better second half, which is what it's all about. I'm really so very grateful in advance thank you well until the next time we chat go well have a great week goodbye the Liz Wellbeing show is presented by me Liz Earl and is produced by Anoushka Tate for Fresh Air Production with additional production support from Ellie Smith